Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. It's Thursday, 26th of August, likely the last Thursday of summer, given the weather outside. It's pretty rainy in Warsaw today. My name is Marysia Ciupka and Kamil Jaronczyk is here with me. Hello. We will go over the most uh, important and pressing political developments from the recent week in Central and Eastern Europe. So stay tuned. Kamil, this week was marked by the 30th anniversary of uh, Ukrainian independence and a Crimea platform organized in Kiev. Why was that event so important and what happened in Kiev earlier this week? You're right, it's quite an important thing that happened this uh, week. Ukraine was celebrating its uh, 30th year of independence from the Soviet Union. But uh, also, right before this uh, huge celebration, an initiative by President Zelensky to gather an international group to a platform, he, which he calls the Crimean platform, to discuss the the uh, long-standing, ever since 2014, uh, issue of the illegal annexation of Crimea by Russian forces um, after the Maidan Revolution. And some important uh, things that came out of it was, um, of course, uh, one of the biggest successes was that it was ha- that it happened at all, that the Polish president, the Lithuanian president, uh, the Moldovan president attended, and other uh, over 40 other attendees, including Charles Michel of the European Council, with uh, some, uh, uh, with many of these uh, people giving strong uh, declarations of support towards Ukraine for uh, Ukraine's sovereignty and for the Ukrainian uh, and the sovereign borders of Ukraine um, as were uh, designated after the fall of the Soviet Union. So it was quite a success for President Zelensky, I would say. And what was Russia's attitude towards that platform and that event? It's uh, good to say that Russia didn't uh, uh, like it too much. Uh, President Zelensky actually during the event alluded to the fact that uh, Russia has been trying to um, uh, to disrupt the event um, uh, using um, uh, d- different uh, different means he even in his end address uh, but but uh, in his end address he also mentioned that uh, he's open to dialogue towards Russia that he's uh, not uh, not uh, opposed to dialogue and that uh, if um, that Russia could uh, and should um, uh, resolve this issue with the international world and that Ukraine can't do it alone and that they need this uh, international help uh, in order to solve this issue. That makes sense. And if we're on the topic of uh, Russian diplomacy, uh, what happened with uh, Sergei Lavrov coming to visit Budapest earlier this week? It was... Uh Not not the best uh, from uh, uh, from uh, Ukraine's uh, neighbor uh, Hungary, uh, who actually during um, the Crimean platform, this uh, huge platform to reaffirm Ukraine's sovereignty and independence um, by its uh, neighbors and allies, Hungary invited uh, Sergei Lavrov to Budapest to discuss things of minor relevance. They really were not pressing issues and didn't have to happen on the day. So in reality, I've, it, it looked very, very symbolic and uh, symbolic in, in a bad way towards, um, towards uh, Ukraine. Uh, uh, so, uh, so yes, uh, Ru- Russia um, uh, diplomatically as well was uh, uh, using its friend or ally, as you would call um, it, whatever you would like to call it, to also uh, make a statement as well, uh, both uh, Orban and uh, and. Uh, Putin. I would also add that uh, at that meeting, Peter Sciarto, so Hungarian foreign minister, announced that Hungary expects to start the production of Russian Sputnik vaccine. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, we're reminding here that Hungary was in fact the only country 
um, uh, next to Slovakia. Slo- Slovakia tried, and it actually in Slovakia it cost uh, Matovic's um, his uh, premiership. So yes, yeah, so Hang- Hungary and Slovakia, so half of the V4 yeah. team uh, administering Sputnik, uh, so Russian vaccine against uh, coronavirus, and this is pretty interesting actually. Hungary will now launch their production yes. of Sputnik, also uh, tightening. Yes, ties with Russia. Exactly. Of course, uh, the Sputnik vaccine hasn't been accepted by the EMA yet, uh, so it also causes problems uh, within uh, uh, COVID uh, passports and the rest. Yes, because some certain countries uh, don't accept um, those uh, Hungarian or. Exactly. And also, this is accompanied by uh, this rhetoric of Viktor Orban uh, about how successful Hungary has been in administering the vaccines yeah. and saying that, who said that they've been the most successful country in the EU uh, when it comes to the vaccination campaign. But I also know from people who, who have been traveling to Hungary now that the, the general atmosphere there is as if COVID never happened there. And when it comes to Czechia, in our last episode, we were discussing how uh, Babiš's Ano is actually likely to win in the coming October elections. Uh, maybe not win, but at least uh, gain uh, gain enough votes or definitely more than expected before with the successful campaign launched by the Czech Pirate Party. Right now, it, it, it seems that Babiš is, Babiš is kind of gaining the momentum. So what's been going on in Czechia? Um, other than the fact that um, Ano has uh, moved past the uh, Pirates uh, and Independent Mayor's Party coalition, uh, there, there is a little uh, problem uh, with, uh, with the president and his aide. Uh, president Zeman has, um, has uh, been criticizing the Czech uh, secu- security, uh, counterintelligence uh, services, uh, services uh, known as uh, BIS, BIS, and uh, has accused uh, BIS of uh, spying on his aide, who is uh, who uh, allegedly has maintained close contacts with the Kremlin officials yes, and uh, Kremlin-linked businessmen. This uh, aide uh, is uh, called uh, Zdenek uh, Nedle. In fact, uh, Zeman even went to uh, the prime minister about it, uh, who uh, who said that that uh, the prime minister doesn't have um, in the input or uh, can't uh, look into what uh, Bis uh, who Bis uh, investigates and who it doesn't. So it looks like there is a certain. Uh, um, a little uh, presidential, prime ministerial uh, spat uh, going on at the moment. So is Babish not afraid right now to go against Zeman, even though he kind of depends on him for the future? I think uh, Babish is in a quite strong place at the moment because um, if they are um, ahead of the, even if they weren't ahead of the uh, pirates, um, Zeman really doesn't have an alternative uh, in the opposition. Yes, uh, their natural allies lie in uh, Ano and in Babish. So. So uh, Babish uh, does is in a quite safe position in uh, saying what he wants and what he doesn't want because uh, because uh, it's not like uh, there's a strong opposition party um, that would be pro Zeman. So Zeman's kind of they're stuck together. <laughs> that makes sense. And on a lighter note, uh, I also read about the Czech economist Tomasz uh, Sedlacek, who wrote an op-ed for the main um, Czech. Economic Weekly, suggesting that the name of the country should be changed from the Czech Republic or from Czechia, as it has been referred to uh, for the past few years, uh, that it should be changed to Bohemia. (laughs) 
And uh, let me just read you an excerpt for, from his argument. Hmm. And then there's Bohemia, the name of our people, a beautiful name that not only sounds beautiful, but means something, describes us. Being a Bohemian is a life attitude, slightly exuberant, enjoying life artistically. What other nation would give for that? I'm from Bohemia, a God-blessed land. I'm a Bohemian. So this is perhaps a, a more of a humorous touch on our part, but um, definitely I, I get behind his argumentation here, I have to say. A beautiful name indeed, Bohemia, Bohemian. Uh, at the same time, likely not to gain that much uh, popularity among the Czechs and uh, Tomáš Sedlaček's uh, op-ed was met with a lot of... Um, criticism online on social media mm. oh i'm i could i could definitely see why i um actually spent spent time in um in the non-bohemian part of the czech republic which is uh, moravia as uh, many people so the moravians and also the silesians i'm sure would not be very happy with uh naming the the country by um by uh, specifically uh the bohemia which is uh within the czech republic it's uh the more western part with uh, prague as the as the capital of that uh, historic region uh so so, um, and going from uh, Czechia to Slovenia, says Janusz Janša, the country's leader, he's been posting a bunch of weird things on his Twitter account, kind of speaking uh, as if in the name of the EU about what should be done in Afghanistan and also what uh, should be done about accepting refugees into the EU. So what's up with that? What's what's the story here and uh, why is Yansha making these weird statements that people are kind of confused about. Prime Minister Yanis Yansha is, uh, is currently, the, uh, holds a sort of uh, the presidency of, uh, the Europe of the European Union in the way that um, it's a rotating presidency that every six months um, moves uh, from each country. And uh, last, uh, yes, last time it was, I think, Germany. And the next one uh, will be um, another country, but but in fact uh, the th the thing is that the European Union does have its own foreign policy, it, and uh, it's not within uh, the his uh, role to speak for the European Union. But um, th there is a bit of an issue. Issue he was uh, speaking. Uh, there was one issue where he was speaking about um, in a uh, uh, massacre that happened in Iran, uh, which uh, the current uh, president of Iran is uh, alleged uh, to have played a role in. And uh, of course, he say he spoke against this, but uh, he didn't make it clear that he was speaking as uh, from the standpoint of Slovenia. Uh, and so uh, Borel had to um, uh, um, Borel had to uh, explain to the uh, Iranian uh, the delegation that um, that if he, that Yanis Yansha doesn't speak for the European Union, uh, that he spit that he only speaks for Slovenia, and that um, the only person who is capable of speaking for the European Union in such a role would be uh, Charles Michel, who is the president of the Council. So this is a sort of um, it's it, it sort of, uh, so uh, Yanis uh, uh he's using his sort of uh, perceived role as the head of the European Union, although that is not his role officially. And uh, he's uh, making um, big things, uh, making big statements with it, uh, which, of course, uh, is angering the people who really do have the role in the European Union. And what's your assessment of uh, Jansch's tactic here? What is he trying to achieve by doing that? 
Um, Yanis Yansha is, um, I, I, I think uh, fundamentally he's a uh, you know, populist and he's actually just speaking to his own base. Um, he, is, uh, he is speaking um, in domestic politics and po- for popular things which are uh, in his domestic politics, uh, which are popular in his domestic politics. It just happened that uh, he's the president of the European Union, uh, I mean, uh, the European Union as well. And he's using this title, uh, well, he, as a loudspeaker um, within his own um, uh, politics and sort of dragging the European Union along with uh, with his uh, rhetoric. Um, yes, because of course the first message comes at the loudest, and then corrections are always much more uh, quiet. Uh, so I think you're right, and I think what's worrisome about this case is that uh, he's following the rhetoric that is uh, pursued by the populist uh, right wing EU skeptic leaders of Poland and Hungary becoming another renegade uh, EU leader. And moving from Slovenia to Slovakia, what uh, has been the highlight of the week in Slovakia these days? Yeah, not, not the best news, but uh, very interesting news. Um, it's great uh, that the Pope, uh, Pope, uh, Fra- uh, um, Pope Francis, will actually be coming to Slovakia. Yes, uh, on the 12th of September. But this, uh, the sad news is that um, the day has already passed when uh, you could get to the Janssen and Janssen single dose vaccine, and uh, still um, and still reach uh, the uh, the required twenty one days uh, the needed to gain the immunity to see the Pope. As everybody who wants to see the Pope will have to be vaccinated, and um, this, uh, just uh, this is a microcosm in the larger problem within Slovakia and within uh, the region. Sadly, um, that uh, the governments are um, trying and uh, sort of failing to uh, give uh, carrots uh, to get more people to vaccinate as we are still haven't reached that 70% needed for, well, the first uh, uh, idea, ideally as many people as possible to, uh, should get vaccinated. Um, and uh, the Slova- Slovak uh, government was uh, trying to use um, the arrival of the Pope as a sort of a drive as well to get um, people to vaccinate. And um, it just uh, wasn't successful. Not, uh, uh, you, could, uh, you could count uh, the amount of people that uh, got vaccinated in the hundreds for, um, uh, for the, the event. Um, and uh, yes, uh, the Pope's visit, um, of course, also needs volunteers. And uh, they're also lacking in volunteers uh, for um, greeting the Pope. So it's looking like um, the Pope's visit w- won't uh, be as big of an event um, as um, I guess uh, the, Slova- uh, the Slovak government was hoping for. What is the estimated number of vaccination skeptics in, in the country? Slovakia actually one of the most uh, significantly uh, lo- uh, lower uh, in the region with uh, only uh, with only 39% around 39% uh, uh, vaccination as um, as of recording. And just to compare it with other countries in the region, it is nearly 50% in Poland, 52% around 52% of vaccination rate in Czechia and then 50 around 56% in Hungary. So perhaps Orban is right. They are the most successful. Uh, yes, when speaking about having uh, had the most successful vaccination campaign in the EU or at least uh, that sticks for the V4. Moving from Slovakia to Poland, perhaps uh, ought to give an update about Lex TVN controversial bill that was put forward by uh, conservative MPs from the Law and Justice Party that would prevent the companies from outside the EU from owning a majority in Polish media companies. 
a bill that sparked a lot of controversies and protests throughout the last weeks and also public debates about media and media freedom and politicians' involvement in uh, shaping the, the media sphere. And so this week, President Duda, in an interview for the state-owned TV, hinted at vetoing that bill, which was expected. At the same time, what was not expected is that there are already some voices on the on the conservative right-wing side, the critical of, of Duda, which comes as a surprise because there were initial thoughts that Duda and Law and Justice were coordinating on on uh, on that. So we'll we'll see what will happen in the next months with uh, President Duda's position in relation to Law and Justice, but we can expect uh, a veto uh, potentially from from Duda on the controversial Lex TVN bill. Other than that, there's also a lot of protests from the church and the priests against the against the tax reform that was put forward as the Polish New Deal. Polski what? Exactly. And until now, really the most the group that was most critical of that package were the entrepreneurs who were going to be hit by higher taxes, but now also it turns out that priests will be it appears that priests will have to pay higher um, taxes as well under the New Deal. So that sparked the chief of the episcopate in Poland to write a letter criticizing that and calling for the church being part of the consultation process on that tax package. So entrepreneurs and priests united against the new tax reform in Poland is another piece of news. And then we also have an ongoing developing situation on the Belarus-Polish border with migrants who have come from the Middle East via Belarus to Lithuania, Latvia, and now Poland. There's currently a spat over whether these migrants who are at the Belarus-Poland border are on the territory of Belarus or on the territory of Poland. And there have been a number of people basically stuck there, also looking for shelter, food and water, medicine, with a number of Polish organizations that have been coming to help them and assist them. Meanwhile, there was a decision to taken by the government to build a fence, which also is met with a lot of criticism on um, the other side of the political spectrum. And then there's also the European Court of Human Rights that did not make Poland open the border for the migrants, but obliged Poland to at least secure these people with shelter and food and basic stuff until mid-September. The situation remains very complicated from the legal point of view. What is important about this case is that it is serious humanitarian crisis and the lack of appropriate or organized response from Poland, from the Polish administration, is 
worrisome for a lot of people. Either way, this will remain a political issue for the next month and we will follow the developments and report on them to you just like we do every week in our weekly outlook where we keep track of the most important political developments from Central and Eastern Europe. The weekly outlook um, comes out every Monday um, on Visegrad Insights. Um, it goes over 13 countries in Central Eastern Europe and we follow the political developments and uh, write up. Uh, so, um, uh, so yeah, subscribe and... Um, subscribe and watch out for our weekly outlooks. Follow us on social media and keep listening to our podcast. Until next one.